And so, you know, as I said, we were, I don't know exactly how we slipped into it, but we were reading in Acts, and I guess it was that, that section, wasn't it, Jeremiah, that we were reading there in Acts, and it was the place where we came across Paul's explanation about David being asleep. And I thought I would take a minute to pause and and elaborate on that uh, within the family, of course, and and uh, so that led to us to quite a quite a study, or a, at least a long discussion about various things. We and, need to pray. Uh, go ahead, Russell. Say again. I said, I said we need to pray right now. God's will be done in this United States of America. Pray that the evildoers do not come to power. All right. Well, we'll let you get us. We'll let you get us underway then. Lord, intervene tonight, and your will be done. Not mine. Not Doug's. Not anybody else. Your will ahead of ours. You know the bigger plan, but. Father, there's some good people running for office trying to make some good changes. Lord, please be with them. Don't let the evildoers take over again worse than it already is now. We're your people, and we're calling for intervention. Lord, I hope pray you hear our voices and that we're worthy. Jesus, in your holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, I too pray have been in prayer today, as you well know. Continue in prayer even after this fellowship, Father, that we know that your ears, you've told us, get tired of listening because you have given us instructions and commands and we do not follow them. We do not obey them. We see the evil on the land and we see the, the wicked rising higher and higher. And we can't understand why we're going lower and lower. But in your word, you gave us the promise. It was a covenant you made with us. And it's because your people do not understand that covenant. And they do not understand the redemptive power that you used in order to continue that covenant. To continue that relationship and that arrangement. And Father, we know... The children of wickedness have continued to cloud their minds and and keep this truth from them. And it has caused all sort of destruction. Father, we ask your forgiveness upon us for not knowing and not hearing and not understanding and not seeing the things that we ought to see and the things that we ought to know and the things that we needed to teach to our children's children as you instructed us to. Father, as Brother Russell said, there's a lot of good men, a lot of good people across the country that are are truly seeing it. They may not completely understand yet, but they know that they're under attack and they're under assault. And so, Father, we do ask for your intervention. We do ask for you to hear the prayers and to open your ears and be attentive to our cries. Father, this system is so imperfect and it has been so destructive. Father, let it be a time for the people to see and understand and and peel back these 
ungodly and unrighteous laws that have encumbered their productivity and their energy that has stifled their energy. Father, we pray against those wicked that continue to do wickedly and seek to blot your name out from upon the earth. Father, we ask that you take their office and put another in their stead. Just as David prayed, we pray, Father, that you remove them and you let someone else take their office. Father, we pray that these children that are being born will rise up to be generations of stalwart Gideons and, and, and the, the people of yours that continue to hold the course of the ship in the direction toward bringing about your will on this nation and this, in this land, this whole entire creation, to bring righteousness upon it. Just put these things in prayer for you, Father, and just continue to pray for tonight's outcome to be an outcome that they do not lay down and rest, that they realize that there's a duty and a responsibility to carry forth generation after generation, decade after decade, year after year, and it can't be taken lightly. No matter whether we have your law reigning over us or we have man's law or a constitution or whatever it is, if you don't have people that are willing to stand by that law, then you've got nothing. And Father, we're about at the point that we've got nothing. And I would that your law would be reigning over us. We just talked about how, Father, you know what we've been talking about. Those are my prayers as well. I ask it in the blessed holy name of your Son given to us. Thank you for the promises that you said where we're two or more gathered in your name, you're there in our midst. We thank you for that promise. Amen. Lord, let me say one last thing for the whole world to hear. If we don't win one election, if they take over the whole country, you're still God. We're still going to follow you. And we're going to be the salt of the earth. And stand up for him and be his remnant. And if we all have to be hung or burned at the stake, give us strength and no fear. Proclaim your word, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you guys' thoughts have all been on the same vein as as ours as well. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there is no doubt that it's a humbling time to me. You, you know, Russell, I commented to my wife tonight, and I said, you know, isn't it interesting? All we've heard for for 20 months has just been racket, 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 just noise, 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 and it just continued incessantly right up pretty much to this last week. And then all of a sudden, all the noise stopped. And... Suddenly, we're all talking about voting and get out the vote and everybody go vote. And you think of all the racket, all the noise that these wicked and evildoers kept doing for 20 months, all the racket, all the noise, all the clamor. And then all of a sudden, it's like it all goes quiet. 
suddenly everybody's just biting their fingernails waiting for the result. And well, wow, there's more we peace don't, here in the last. There's more peace in these last few days than than I've seen in the last 22 months or however long it's been. Yeah, funny how it can just shut off like that, huh? When it's yeah, seemingly well, so important. About the Russian collusion. Yeah, the Russian collusion is 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 no longer of any you know. I you know maybe I'm not listening to the right people. Maybe I need to turn on CNN, ABC, NBC, and all the rest of them to see what is being said. But I know this much that the clamor and the chatter sure seems to have subsided. So. Anyhow. Well, isn't it funny that Megyn Kelly is fired for saying, I don't understand what's the problem with blackface. And you have this guy on Saturday Night Live come on talking about a war hero with one eye and saying, how about this candidate looks like a director of a porno movie? And then he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I understand he's a veteran or fought in a war or whatever. And this guy gets applauses. And the whole NBC black staff shows up as white face on Halloween. And when are people going to learn to hate? When are God's people going to learn how to hate? Amen. Yeah, you know, just before we came on to the fellowship tonight, the, I don't know what it was, a note I guess I had written on the top of a notepad, and and the the statement that I wrote was, what was Israel's vanity? And then I wrote down 2 Kings chapters 13 to 18. And so I went ahead and opened it up to 2 Kings 13 and began to read and got into 14, and, and you know, for those of us who really are thinking about our God, just as you said to our Father, about, you know, his will being done, um, his will, you know, he said, what do I desire? Do I desire sacrifice of bulls? And, and the answer was no. He desires obedience. And when you look at the the Israel's vanity, 2 Kings chapter 13 through 18, there is five chapters of just sheer and utter despicable behavior by Israel. Uh, um, the, the promises being made uh, by the prophecy about what God was going to do through Israel. And and that wasn't enough to turn them from their vanity. And I think of America today, and, and I don't believe that it's any accident that a, a small remnant right here on this fellowship is, you know, been in, in a nearly two-month-long two study about Israel, Judah, and Jew and uh, bringing our minds to an understanding of, of who these people are 
that we might grasp the concept of the overall plan. Like you said, Russell, the plan, the plan of God. And there's a plan in this thing. And, and the plan is, is that his righteousness goes throughout the earth and that every knee will bow. Every knee will bend at, at his uh, command and instruction. And as a people of God, you think of how wonderful the, the creation would be when we're able to do that. We had a person in western Wisconsin who was sniffing some kind of stuff, um, driving down the road in a, you know, in a, uh, a two-ton killing machine. And either he lost control and his passenger with him was trying to get a hold of it or between the two of them they managed to, to, to do it, <clears throat> put that thing into the ditch and, and killed three young girls and a mother of one of them who were cleaning garbage off the highway um, and all because he felt his brain needed to be in a, in a comatose uh, uh, status for a certain period of time in order to have enjoyment. And so he's 21 years old, and the thought occurred to me is that how, how quickly we could stop so much of this stuff because this man should be put to death, and um, we would stop, as the Scripture says, so that no more wickedness will be done, so that Israel will see and hear and fear and do no more such wickedness. And it just goes on and on and on. I mean, we could name the, you know, the, the criminal activities of the last week, uh, every one of us in our regions and so forth, and we could name the biblical standard which should be applied, and there would be no more of this such wickedness. But until we're willing to carry out the will and do it his way, um, I, I don't mean to, to take the floor here, but I, I was, and my wife will te- attest to this, I woke up this morning, I don't know why, but I just, I just had a terrible disposition. And... I'll confess to you guys, my disposition is this. I'm tired of this. We've got $20 trillion strapped around the ankles of, of Texas's generation and Esther's generation and Isaac's generation and Jeremiah's generation and the generation of those that are being born today and this year and next. And we don't have a clue. In this nation, there's no desire, no nothing to put to rest and take out from amongst us this poison and cancer of this debt usury system that has just choked this nation and has put us in abject poverty and bondage. We are blind and naked and wretched and poor, and we can't see it. We think we're wealthy 
And so I'm lamenting in my heart this morning. I know I was. And I just was foul and remained so throughout the, you know, the balance of the day pretty much because in my heart and in my spirit, I know that we're no further to casting off this oppressive system and and everything and that's what's frustrating me and it makes me uh, not happy to have that disposition but that's a reality and we can sit here and sugarcoat it and color it in 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 what you know we hope to transpire today but we are so far from winning the war we have yeah. no idea what it's really going to take to win this war. And I dare say the only thing that I can see winning this war is God's word being implemented in that it takes these things down. I don't care whether it's the 21-year-old Kareen in his car and the three young children and a mother or you know, all manner of whatever any of us know happened this week in our own areas. Until we truly have a heart, as you said, Russell, where is the righteous indignation? And I'm telling you, it, I pray, I pray that the people have found it. And this righteous indignation will not stop at one election, that it will... Uh, can you imagine these wicked being routed out of our land and this whole entire debt thing brought down and these people routed out of our country? Uh, or, or can you imagine start punishing the evil? I yeah. Mean, firing the electric chair 24-7, one after the I'm other. Telling you. I am telling you. Or just to heck with the electric chair. You know, I think there's a reason God had a penalty called stoning. I I just want all of us to just envision that for a second. Envision stoning somebody because he said those that he, you know, that the wrong was committed against, they get to cast the first stone. And after that, all Israel cast the stone. Now, that is brutal. I understand it's brutal. But in our system called the Constitution, we wrote into it that there should be no cruel and unusual punishment. And apparently, stoning is pretty cruel and rather unusual. Well, well, hold that thought just a minute. Can you see how vague that is, though? I mean, you know... Cruel and unusual. Absolutely, I see how vague that is. When you hadn't punished anybody in a hundred years, that'd be unusual to stone them, wouldn't it? It would be unusual to do anything to them if they haven't done yeah. it for a hundred years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That sneezing or blowing a virus on them would be unusual. I mean. So that that right there is an indictment of that pathetic, so-called God-inspired document. What a farce. 
cruel and unusual. Well, wouldn't that depend on the judge sitting in the hot seat there? Hmm, I think that's, that's okay. Yeah, that's not cruel. Put him in there and pay for his meals and all his medical stuff. No, there's nothing cruel about that. What about the victim? They don't care about how cruel and unusual that torment is, do they? No. And so we'll take this 21-year-old and we will feed him and we will clothe him and we will give him all the medical care that he needs and all the dental care that he needs. Mm -hmm. And it will go on and it'll be... It'll put a, be put on the on the backs of of Wisconsinites, and um, and and everybody will go home feeling good at night, I guess. And uh-huh. uh, um, and, and that's just one microcosm, you know. It, it really is, but. Um, you know, we're thinking about Judy and I. We're talking, coming back from work today, and and this whole thing with the justice, the uh, Kavanaugh that was, uh, you know, brought up, and we talked about God's law on regards to that. And she accused the man of rape, and rape is a death penalty case. And the scripture says that. If somebody bring, somebody brings a false accusation, the same thing that the penalty would have been for that, that they sought to have come upon this man's head, and of course, they didn't seek to have the death penalty on him, but they sure wanted him dead. Um, but uh-huh. be that as it may, uh, that's what God's word says. And so essentially, this woman would be brought before the people and she would be stoned for her false accusation. And so how many more women would we have that would dare to bring out the false accusation? Um, it would be pretty few and far between. Um, so that would have come to a head. Um, you know, you just you just go clicking them off one after another. It would be so easy, and it would be so final. And it would be so effective. And this is why these that practice wickedness do not want the mention of our God's name. They do not want mention of it. They do not want it brought to the mind of the children because they they are the ones who are the God. Well, I'm still here. I'm just thinking. (laughs) Uh, The North North Dakota lady's getting horsewhipped. Praise God. Heidi Heitkamp. Two to one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many voted, you know, counted, but that would be a good one to see go by the wayside. Scott Walker, 
What do you know about that race, Wisconsin Hunt? Are you going to pull it out? Well, I don't. I don't know. Um, you know, like so many states, um, our population is comprised of Milwaukee and Madison, and um, you know, what is there four and a half million in the state, and and you know, a good share of it, uh, you know, fifty percent or more is in those those two locations. And this is what the wicked do. That's why they're so eager to get Texas, and that's why they're so eager to get Florida. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, if they do get Florida and they do get Texas, they will pretty well have what is necessary to stay in control of just about anything, um, whether it's local or national, because they have done what they do, which is they have stopped uh, people getting to the country. Um, they are, you know, migrating to the cities. The, the jobs continue to come into the, the major metropolitan areas. They keep erecting the housing that the people keep coming, you know, to have it. And they've convinced the millennials, uh, certainly, that that this is this is really the way they they're going to want to live is huddled in the cities, and uh, uh, so you know therein is your power base and therein is your structure because the more you keep them boxed in a box, their misery will be great because in most major cities, you know it's. It's wall-to-wall traffic, and it's wall-to-wall, hour-to-hour, busting your tail to get to work, to get home to work, uh, from work, and make it to the next day again, and uh, sit down and have your two hours of TV, and get back up and do it all over again, and, and that's basically life. So, um, you know, that puts the misery index up there, even though people think they're okay. Uh, you know, it, it does put the misery index up there, and they're constantly clamoring for something to, to uh, you know, give them a relief here or a relief there or, you know, whatever. And that's the politician's dream is to be able to, uh, uh, to be there to, uh, to uh, promise the, the delivery of whatever the next, concern and issue is so uh, it's it's pretty sad but I, I do believe the people are seeing I do believe some of the churches are certainly waking up and and uh, you know as I said a couple uh, weeks ago we're either truly looking at a situation where God is saying I'm I'm going to bring this thing to a complete and utter destruction and I'm going to bring your misery so great or we actually truly do repent and we actually truly do believe those words and we actually truly do believe those prayers when we pray them and we are earnestly seeking him and then he will be attentive. You know? Well, maybe it's time to flip over to a second Second Chronicles. What are the options? Yeah. 
you know, um, you know, I hate to go and 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 repeat a, you know, repeat a a uh, verse over and over and over, but Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Uh, this was the one that everybody, you know, had concluded that we were, you know, this is where we're at, and we were to pray this prayer. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But they never go on. And I always say the activating verse of what makes 14 actually come into existence is found in verse 17, continuing at 15. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, 17, if thou will walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shall observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of my kingdom according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, there shall not fail thee a man to be the to be a ruler in Israel. So this is this right here tells us several things: is that God is willing to take away a promise, and you know, in His infinite ability, He can certainly be justified in taking away a promise. And that's well, exactly look, what he says. Then will I establish the throne of my kingdom according as I have coveted with David thy father. So, you know, talk about having your candlestick taken from you just as he took the candlestick <laughs> from Judah and now Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, Britain and America are on the precipice of having tossed it to the wolves as they tried to be a light look at, the world. Look at 22, the very last sentence of 7. He has, he has brought all of this sectanic activity on them. Boy, they couldn't swallow that, could they? No. That's exactly what Satan... No. Yeah. Satan is adversarial... <laughs> Well, let's just read that one. Let's just read. Let's let's read twenty-two quick, and it shall be answered. Well, let's go to the question. Um, uh, But if let's go back to nineteen. But if go ahead. Twenty-one. He says, "Why has the Lord done this to our land and to our people?" That's the question. I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah, and he says, "And it shall be answered." 
and it shall be answered, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore has he brought all this evil upon them. Oh, well, we don't worship gods of sticks and stones. No, we worship a, an elephant and a donkey, or we worship a bull and a bear. I mean, you know, <laughs> how ironic. <laughs> a bull and a bear. <laughs> and you know, the people that are loaded up in that crap are just, you, it just depends on how that stock's doing, is how they're feeling for the day. It sounds to me it's a whole lot like Las Vegas. I really don't understand it all. But well, Isaac, I know that we started down one path right at the very beginning, and uh, um, oh, that's fine. That's fine. If you uh, that's anyway. That's something we can get back to sometime. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, um, in fact, you know that was something we talked about this weekend, uh, Russell. Just before you came on, Isaac said that he was talking about some things this weekend or reading a couple of things, and and it was thinking about what happens when one dies and. We kind of chuckled because that's where we ended up. We we uh, well, that's the discussion we had this weekend, and and we were reading through the book of Acts, and uh, we came uh, on to what was it, chapter four or something, Jeremiah? Or uh, uh yeah, we were in the first couple chapters. And anyhow, um, uh, it, Peter spoke to them. Peter or Paul? Who was it? Uh, was it? Must have been Peter. Um, let's see. Is it in three? But anyhow, uh, where in in the book of Acts, it, this it's clearly spoken that David was asleep and was in the sepulcher as he is this day. And, and in fact, he goes on to say that he has not ascended to heaven, you see. And there were some schools of thought back then, and one of the schools of thought had to do with a certain group of people, and another school of thought had to do with another group of people. Somebody going to say something? No, okay. Um, and so uh, there were some in those days that didn't believe in a resurrection. There are others that did believe in a resurrection. Um, and so essentially, uh, where was that, Jeremiah? Uh, let's see. Um. I don't remember. 
the Sadducees didn't believe in um, resurrection or spirits. That was the yeah. other way around um, for the Pharisees. Right. And so when you when you recognize the thought of the day, just like today, we have different denominations because people have different beliefs. Um, and uh, there's the premillennialist and the postmillennialist. There's the the rapturist, the non-rapturist. The you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so, in like fashion today, we have people who believe different things, and that belief, in large part, is not based upon. Uh, you know, not based upon a biblical basis or is not certainly supported, um, but they find ways to support it in many respects. Um, I'm still looking for it here. I, I didn't think it was that far along. I thought it was in the first few chapters, and I don't know how I'm missing it. Um, I don't recall if there was anything um, yeah, yeah, I don't know I don't see it well okay, you know. well there's, there's some related stuff in there. Acts 7 Acts 7 there's some stuff in Acts 7 yeah uh, 760 just referring to uh, after he said some things he fell asleep and fell asleep in death right that's one thing is this topic's probably a good one to make sure you have a few days of good vitamin D before you dig into it because <laughs> it's a little bit of a downer well, well, but 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 it it's it's not really a downer because um, it's a reality, and that's what he's been trying to tell us from the beginning is that he's trying to save us from death because in the beginning he did not intend for us to have death, but by our choice. And by that exercise of that free agency, we engage in acts that are contrary to the will. And so subsequently, uh, uh, um, um, so subsequently, we, we find that, that, you know, to just think, oh, when I die, I'm dead. I, I'm I'm not I'm not going and being whisked off to heaven. And but that also is is largely due to what our perception is of what we think about heaven to be, and that we're all entitled to heaven. And so that's another thing that has to be 
flushed out of our thinking is, is what our preconceived notion and beliefs are about that so that we can be more grounded on the reality of what God's intentions and desires are and what the full scope of our duties and obligations and so forth are in respect to that and then you know what he plans to do with us as a resurrected you know person and um, and things of that nature so yeah it's it's definitely in depth and uh, if we're going to take on you know what happens when you die uh, um, you know we'll probably find it the same way as this we'll have to release from ourselves a, a lot of preconceived notions and ideas in order to uh, to try to do the study number one and then number two here's uh, here uh, number two is 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 then graphs what is what is actually in the Bible on the subject and then thirdly um, come to grips with it <laughs> and uh, uh, you know that's uh, uh, that sometimes is too much for people because they want to believe what they've always believed, or they want to live in some sort of a false reality. And uh, yeah, the scripture scripture that I was looking for, I didn't realize that we had gone that far, but uh, it's in Acts chapter thirteen. Um, no, it's not in 13. Uh, I don't think we read past um, 7 or 8. eight. Yeah, we stopped at 8. Well, I was thinking it was right there in 13, but... Um, Did you look in 7? I didn't, know. Stevens, uh, speech... Um, that's a good one, Isaac, on this whole whole Israel being uh, uh, Israel having uh, not heard uh, the Messiah, if you will, and therefore uh-huh. God had to change gears and go, go to the go to the uh, Gentiles right there. I mean, that whole thing from Stephen is 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 a is a recounting. And and it's all geared toward Israel, and that makes that whole thing totally unnecessary. Acts chapter seven. Okay. Um, well, you know, one of the thoughts I had about this uh, that I think is kind of interesting is if you compare the two ideas. Uh, the the idea that we're taught 
or that is that's typically taught by our churches you know that uh, somebody dies they go up to heaven and then they're looking down at you you know if they're a good person maybe uh that can give you the idea well so so then the the what the bible actually says uh is that it's it says if you sleep and you'll sleep until jesus second coming right um right if the people if you're if you're among the living and the people and, and there are people that have that have passed on and that you care for and they're asleep uh that kind of gives more motivation i think to do what can be done to bring the second coming of of jesus faster uh so that those people that you loved woke up even though in heaven there will be no relationships with those people or no specific relationships with those people you want to help to do what you can to raise them right from from that sleep by by ushering in i suppose the second coming of jesus if, if that's something that we can affect uh on the other hand if someone dies and you imagine that they are instantly whisked away to heaven then whatever you're doing here screwing around screwing up you can just keep on dragging it out so you can enjoy your life uh as long as you can because there's nobody waiting on you right does that make sense that's uh there's a totally different set of behind those two ideas yeah yeah no i get i get what you're saying is that uh in one instance there's uh the we're all we're all going off uh because we believe because they've we've been told that all we need to do is believe so we just go about doing what we do and uh, and yeah that uh, that person left the party and you're going to keep partying right yeah is 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 that idea well the Uh, scripture that i go ahead yeah go ahead no i'm done no go ahead no okay you're done um all right well the scripture that this all right the scripture that we came across was in acts chapter two and um specifically uh this part here uh let's see where do i want to see start um um david okay we'll go to acts chapter 2 verse 25. um Peter is addressing the the crowd here in first part of two. Um, he's addressing it, and at verse twenty five, I think that should be okay for context. Or what did I say? Uh, yeah, twenty two. Once again, another scripture in the book of Acts, and it's Peter. Uh, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
excuse me, 22, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. King James says holden of it, but that's what that is, that he should be had held by it. So in other words, God has raised Christ because it was not possible that death should hold him. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Okay, there's one of those words again that has to be defined and understood. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The word hell is used in this uh, passage and in general in both the old and the new means basically uh, to cover, or it's Gehenna, uh, the grave, uh, Sheol, is also used in the Old Testament to signify, you know, a place of the dead or a grave. Uh, and, and, in, and I think it's in uh, uh, Greek, it meant to cover. And what happens when you go in the grave, you're, you're covered over. All right, so... Uh, now that, you know, some people's perception of that word hell and when it's used there might have something else in their mind. Because thou will not leave my soul in hell, because you will not leave my soul in the grave, neither will you suffer thy holy one to see corruption, meaning the Christ, the Redeemer. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. So now we're going to be spoken to by Peter of the patriarch David. He's going to tell us something. And what is it that he's going to tell us? We have to pay attention to that understanding. He's telling us something. He says that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. What does that mean? He's dead. He's buried. His sepulcher is still there, going on. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, uh, the scripture for that is uh, where David does this is um, Psalms chapter 16 and verse 10, that his soul was not left in hell or in the grave, neither his flesh should see, the flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Let me pause there for a moment. 
one thing I'd bring to your guys' mind is you recall in the Gospels, the Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels we find an account of Mary coming to Christ and, and wanting to reach out you know, and obviously embrace him. And he says, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Um, so there's something in that that, you know, was meaningful and we had have to ascertain from Christ's words, but anyhow, that his soul was not left in the grave or hell, neither his flesh did see corruption, 31 and 32, Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witness. Therefore, being the right hand of God exalted, having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So that was more profound to many of those there at the time because of the preconceived belief that David was going to be the risen Christ, number one, that the promise that they believed was that David was going to, you know, they were looking forward to the time that David was once again going to rule in Israel. But rather, they missed the understanding, which was that it wasn't David that was to rule, but it was going to be somebody from within his seed line, which was Christ of the tribe of Judah, of the descendant of David. Um, I've got a message uh, on the archive called uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Oh, what did I title it? Um, uh, I forgot something uh, was it Christ's Moabite grandmother or how did I word that one I, I'm confusing myself on it but anyhow um, you know it's a story about Ruth and how she's referred to as a Moabitess and people want to use uh, the idea got a little noise somebody there um uh, where All the perception right. is, is that Ruth, Ruth, Ruth was a Moabitess, and uh, therefore she was an alien seed line, and so therefore Christ is from an alien seed line. Well, that simply isn't true. You have to have a little more understanding and knowledge to understand who Ruth was and what it meant in the scripture of Moabitess, and then going back and looking at the lands that were being occupied and you realize that she actually was from the land of Moab and was an Israelite. Anyhow, so then uh, David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said, well, I guess I did. I finished it up to the end of the, end of the scripture there. So that's how I decided to take a little bit of time and pause in our own home and, and once again just kind of bring uh, an understanding to something about death and and so forth and so it sounds like you were on the same subject this weekend in your thoughts as well 
and uh, it's yeah. you know it's yeah. it, it, uh, so much of what we think is preconceived beliefs and notions, isn't it, Isaac? It sure seems like it, and it doesn't seem particularly difficult to figure this one out, at least unless I've got something wrong. You know, it doesn't seem that difficult to figure out, so why it's still uh, taught so openly is a question that could use some exploration, too. Uh, uh, one thing I want to, people feel good. Yeah. People love to be told a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun ones. <laughs> I feel like I've read scripture where, and I'm probably wrong, but I feel like I've read scripture where Jesus was describing. Moses uh, and Abraham in heaven, seemingly describing that. Uh, and so now, now with this this idea, this understanding, I need to go back and try to find that and see what it what what it really says. Well, do do we all if I can understand find here tonight? <clears throat> Do we all understand what the word heaven literally means? I mean, that's a good word to know what it it. means, isn't it? There is. Give it to us. Okay. If heaven is space, that's a lot of expanse up there. I mean, that's a lot of options going on. Now, what is hell? Hell is death. So we've got heaven and hell defined properly. Uh, where did Jesus resurrect to? Space. And we're up in space. And, and I, I get tired of people telling me, do you know Jesus went into hell and did all this stuff in hell? And they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> No, and I'm not, I'm not sure I understand it, but he's not going to go. He's he's all about the truth. What he is. If he went to a place of death or a graveyard or a tomb, that's not so unusual, is it? Don't we all go to graveyards every once in a while? We could tell people we've been to hell and back. I mean, well, and I remember it really changes the dynamics, doesn't it, Doug? Yeah. Um, I was going to say I recall many years ago. I, I suppose that it was probably on the order of at least fifteen years. Um, we went to some gathering and I recall somebody saying something about that very thought which was I think Isaac you you mentioned it or maybe it was Russell that said that Christ descended into hell and 
um, I recall asking the person, I said, you know, and I was very polite. I said, can I, can I ask you to stop for just a second and let's, let's explore that thought? And he mm-hmm. said, what thought? And I said, well, you, you said that Christ descended into hell. And I said, what does hell mean um, to you in what it is that you think Christ did? And he said, hell is the place for the wicked. And, and I looked at him and I said, okay, so Christ had to go where the wicked gone. He'd never done anything wrong. Don't, don't I understand that correctly? He never... He was spotless. He was blameless, and 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 you believe then that he descended into the very place where the wicked go. Well, he had to. He had to go where the wicked go because he was made just like we are, you know. And he had to go just where we were. And I said, well, why did he have to go? And he could, he couldn't explain that. He couldn't answer that. And. I said, all I'm trying to do is to have you think about what it is that you said and, you know, mm-hmm. casually, you know, review it in your mind and ask yourself, is that possible? Um, with God, all things are possible. I mean, I don't remember how I said it 15 years ago, and, and I probably wasn't any better at articulating a thought than I am today. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, but uh, you know, uh, uh, that was a very profound thought for someone to say that Christ descended into hell, and and I thought I knew the words and had an understanding of things back then, and that scripture caused me to start scratching my head a little bit and saying, how is it, you know, what would have been the necessity? for God to have have descended into a hell as we would once believed it or that it may have been taught to us, if, uh, if that were the case, um, it, it just it made no sense. And that caused me to actually start defining a little bit more of the words and therefore in, and therein I found, I found truth. And um, then I, I had no, no, no issue to, you know, to have with the scripture. By, by having definitions, uh, I found that my, you know, my reaction to God's unjustness uh, was, was unfounded, you know. Make sense? Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Uh, looking at Webster's, Webster's 1828 heaven, Definition one, the region or expanse which surrounds the earth and which appears above and all around us like an immense arch or vault in which are seen the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, uh, Two, among Christians, the part of space in which the omnipresent Jehovah is supposed to afford more sensible manifestations of his glory, hence this is called the habitation of God and is represented as the residence of angels and blessed spirits, Deuteronomy 26.15. Among pagans, third definition, the residence of the celestial gods. 
Uh, fourth definition, the sky or air, the region of the atmosphere or an elevated place in a very indefinite sense. Thus we speak of a mountain reaching to heaven, the fowls of heaven, the clouds of heaven, hail or rain from heaven, Jeremiah chapter 9.10 and Job 35.11. The cities are walled to heaven, as in Deuteronomy 1.10 as well. Uh, The definition five, the Hebrews acknowledged three heavens, the air or aerial heavens, the firmament in which the stars are supposed to be placed, and the heaven of heavens, or the third heaven, the residence of Jehovah. Uh, Modern definition, or sixth definition, modern philosophers divide the expanse above and around the earth into two parts the atmosphere or aerial heaven, and the ethereal ethereal heaven beyond the region of the air in which there is supposed to be a thin, unresistant medium called ether. And uh, the supreme power, the sovereign of heaven, God is the prophet sent by heaven, definition seven. So um, just in that right there, there's, you know, um, you know, I, I, there's not a real euphoric definition there, is there? Well, it works for, oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven, but after that, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Heaven's not God, is it? Uh, no. So, it, so it, what? Uh, look, look at our preconceived notion about heaven and hell. Better, uh, better be. Sandy knows who's naughty or nice. That's what we're taught from day one. You're naughty. You're going to hell. You're nice. You go to heaven. Uh. That's a little different than I came to give you life eternal. Uh, then we better start defining life because he's promised us life eternal, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what what we know of life is just we're born and we live in this we live on this planet, but perhaps there's more to it than that. Uh, was it Isaiah that brought up earlier about death is many times called sleep? And we know from the Bible that it said, People that were dead got up and walked around. I mean, is that that's either true or false, or or did we not have the right translation of? And how do you read that? Well, without going to specific scriptures, um, and and that's kind of how our discussion went, is because um, 
yes, there's lots to it. Um, we have to, uh, um, for example, what was brought up was, well, what about angelic beings? And I said, well, uh, there's, no, there's certainly no argument for me. We are told uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah were visited by a couple of angels. They looked like men. They had all the semblances uh-huh. of men. In fact, uh, the Sodomites, uh, you know, approached Lot's house and banged on the door and said, "Bring those men out, so we might have our way with them." And um, uh, so, uh, it's clearly within God's prerogative to do things that He has capacity uh, to do. So. Um, we we're faced with the uh, um, the ob- obligation to accept uh, the things which we are given for um, you know for our edification. So um, likewise, in David's day. Um, an adversary was brought before David uh, to number Israel. We don't know who that adversary was. Um, We maybe could conjecture about who that adversary was, but God acted as a Satan or an adversary, as the scripture uses the term, um, to David. if God chooses to bring an adversary uh, into our path to test us, um, you know, we see it in a family situation where a father uh, might test a son or a father might test a daughter or a mother might test a daughter or a mother might test a son and put a certain... Uh, scenario in front of the individual to see what the individual has learned. So um, it, it seems fairly clear that that's not a, a tool that we ourselves would not in some point in, engage in. One might look at, at, at the creator and say, well, that's really cruel what he did to Job, but I dare say that most people have not looked at the book of Job and said, look, what you had here was an adversary taunting God, basically, and saying, oh, Job has what he has, and Job loves you and gives reverence to you because of all that you've blessed him with. You you take away everything that you've blessed him with, and you watch and see what he does. He'll curse you before the sun goes down. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And God said, you're on. You see, and in that sense, God had more faith in Job than, you know, certainly Job's friends had in Job. And um, that's the story. And see, I don't think a lot of people look at that story that way. But I, I... I think when you 
have eyes to see and ears to hear and, and you look th- at things and attempt to look at things through biblical eyes or through a creator's eyes, then, then you, can, you, can, you can see the haughtiness of this, this adversary who despises and, and, you know, God says, do I not have the ability to do with the clay what I want? And if I make one vessel to destruction and another vessel for honor, um, so he, he creates this, this individual. You know, we look at what's going on in our country and we look at these individuals that are doing this and we never once really consider that, that God is doing this to refine us. He's doing this to show us evil so that when we see evil, we'll be more inclined to reject it, and on and on and on and it goes. And in a parent-child relationship, uh-huh. we do similar things. We, we constantly want to see the, the children learn and be able to be attentive to those things and to be able to, dis- to discern. So why would we not expect our heavenly creator to treat us in a similar fashion uh, as I say, some might say, well, that's awful cruel, you know, or whatever. Well, it's a story designed to enlighten us to the effectualness of it, and um, that should give us encouragement rather than discouragement. I, I don't know if anybody's following what I'm saying on that, but um, mm-hmm. it's it's a different it's a different mindset. And of course, when we look at our Bible and we're looking at it in this euphoria of a, of a heavenly bliss, while yet on this earth, we really don't engage the creator's will on this earth. You got to be scratching your head saying, do I deserve a heavenly, you know, uh, position or, uh, you know, whatever, when I'm really not sure that I'm effectively, you know, taking a hold of the situation in this in this earthly creation. And it's all because we've mm-hmm. always been taught to believe about everything that we believe in some non-real fashion or some mythical fashion. Does that does that make sense to anybody you know so. what I'm saying or yeah. Well, that's good. At least I'm making sense. <laughs> uh, well, um, so yeah, Isaac, um, that's a great study. Um, you know, I, I've got some things, I guess, that I could, you know, direct us into uh, for starters, and then from there, maybe we can uh, kick around some more thoughts and stuff on that. Uh, so we could call yeah. it what happens when you yeah. die or go ahead Russell think about this uh, I was just going to say think about these people that die and then they come back from death Cindy and I witnessed a case of this two years ago we had an aunt that uh Everybody at the hospital said was dead, and uh, she was the only thing that was happening was she was breathing. But other than that, she was dead. 
and uh, this went on for three days, and we'd go down there to the hospital and sing to her. She was in hospice. They loaded her up with morphine, uh-huh. and uh, she was a cripple by birth. And so one day I was down there tickling the bottom of her leg. And we, uh-huh. as God is our witness, we heard her say, stop it. I looked over at Cindy, and long story short, what they had meant to kill, God let live. And she slowly woke up out of this thing she was in, and as that, we went over what happened. She said, it's as if I was been asleep for a period of time. And Cindy and I came to the conclusion that he brought her back so she could tell everybody, so everybody could get their accounts correct with her. And then as soon as she got home, uh, after rehab and all, several months later, well, she had a seizure and died. But hearing her talk about what was going on while she was in that coma, I found it very interesting that she compared it to sleep. And all, without exception, the doctors all said, this woman is dead. And um, one of my relatives says, well, we're not going to starve her to death. You're going to give her something to eat while she's dead. <laughs> and they, they gave her some sort of shake. And that probably kept her alive. She was in this condition for several weeks. And he'd pinch on her and says, she doesn't feel a thing. Can you see this? And I said, well, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I'm not arguing with you. But the long and short of it is we saw her come back to life. So what is death? And what is DNA molecules? Are they the data programs, the, the cells? I mean, you know, there's just more to it well, than the scene, isn't there, Doug? Yeah, yeah, and and that's way, way, way above my pay grade. And um, uh-huh. um, you guys will have to pay a little. You guys will have. You guys will have to pay me a little bit more if you really want me to to expound on that. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean those are those are things that are unexplainable. You know, one can say, well, she was in a state of sleep, most definitely, and and it was a doctor-induced sleep. And um, I would say, in many many respects, that that certainly would have been likely the case. Uh, they do use that morphine. Um, uh, and in many respects, it shuts down people's bodies, and it's their way of letting them go slowly. Um, so there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for the fact that that um, you know, uh, through faith, belief, and trust, and love, and care uh, of those around her. Um, God was holding her in a state that was as 
you know, as close to, you know, death as death could be, or he led her, or she was, you know, I don't have the answers to those things. Uh, I can't, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to attempt to. But just Nor as do we I. found in the days of, in the days of Lazarus, um, Christ said to the apostles that Lazarus sleeps. Well, it was a figure of speech then to say, you know, when people die, they sleep. And so they mm-hmm. said there's also a figure of speech that if one is sleeping, he's at rest. And so when he said that to the apostles, they said, well, if he sleeps, then he'll do well. And he says plainly, as the scripture says, Lazarus is dead. He needed to get the apostles to understand that he was, in fact, dead. Because if he's just sleeping and he's in a state of sleep, then what Christ is about to do, which is to raise him from the dead, not only was he dead, that's why he tarried, so that he would be good and dead. In other words, they'd wrapped him in the in the grave's clothes, put him in the tomb, and then when he got there, you know, was it Mary or somebody, the sister, says, "Oh, if you'd only come sooner, you know, he would have he would live." And Christ spoke to the heavens, to, to the Father, and and said he said it so that those needing to hear could hear it, and. Uh, and then he called Lazarus up out of the grave. So, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that I can't explain or answer and in that regard. And what we, what we do is we live recognizing that uh, something, you know, definitely was going on for her. And you folks were there to, uh, you know, call upon the name of the Lord for... Uh, last opportunities to bid farewells, and everybody got to do that. And then he, then he took her. Um, so I'm not going to argue with those things or attempt to, you know, uh, put them in some category that that is for ignorance and fools. Um, it, it's just one of those things that are unexplained, but. I can safely say that we should be able to come away from a study of the scriptures and determine what happens to us when we die. And um, those things that happen in an inordinate way, um, we don't have, maybe we'll find some, some scriptural understanding to those as part of the study. Um, but it's definitely something that there's a lot of preconceived notions and ideas and beliefs which has you know plagued the people once again as to what really is the truth so uh, and that's I guess uh, what we'll attempt to do, and we'll come to some conclusions and understanding. So, in the, in the next series of fellowships, we'll we'll take a look at death. What happens when you die? Where are the dead? And uh, um, uh, do some research and study, and and bring it to the table, and 
and uh, and learn something by it, and hopefully be better able to communicate that to others. So, but one thing I wanted to do before we wrapped up here, I know it's already nine, uh, and and Russell, I'll let you recap uh, election returns if you want, but. On our study of uh, Israel, Judah, and Jew, um, I had a quick number of individuals uh, in the past that have written um, about several of these things uh, about Israel. And uh, so I thought, if you didn't mind, I'd go through, I've got about 10 or 12 of them here. And it also refers to these Israelites and where they've migrated. So um, if you'd like me to do that, I'll, I'll go, go ahead with that. Is that all right? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, that's all right. good. Um, this, uh, this was from Professor Odlum, and he's talking about the deportation. And he's quoting, this is his quote, the distance to which Israel was carried from their own country in about 721 BC, that was the time of the deportation, was not less than 700 miles in a north and east direction. The Syrian desert, the river Euphrates, the Mesopotamian region, the Tigris, and the three ranges of Kurdistan mountains intervened between Samaria and the new home of Israel in captivity. In this district were the cities and regions of Hala, Habor, and the river Gozan, which flowed into the Caspian Sea as it does today. This new home was the high tablelands of Media and Armenia, end quote. So what that does is that gives us a sense of where the deportation was and the regions in which they were. Uh, continuing on, while settled in this district, they aided the Medes and Persians to break the power of their captors, the Assyrians. Afterwards, Babylonian went down before their arms as well. From this time, they were on their way to the new European home. They found unoccupied territory in the neighborhood of Ar-Sareth, A-R-S-A-R-E-T-H, in southeast Europe. Here they occupied the Crimea and spread up the waterways, passing the watershed, and down the waterways to the Baltic and North Seas. Sharon Turner, she's the foremost author and historian on um, the Saxons, uh, highly regarded uh, historian regarding the Saxons. And she says, quote, the migrating Scythians crossed the Araxes, passed out of Asia, and suddenly appeared in Europe in the 6th century BC. Esdras in the Apocrypha tells us that the ten tribes left their exile and moved away across the Euphrates to a place called Arsareth, meaning city or hill of Sareth, 2nd Esdras 13, 39-45. To the northwest of the Black Sea is a river called Sareth to this day. End quote. Uh, here's Herodotus. Herodotus is a historian as well. Herodotus, speaking of the same date as Esdras, says, 
The Scythians emerged from beyond the Euphrates across the Armenian River, Araxes. Reverend W.M.H. Milner says this, quote, the fugitive hosts starting from Upper Media passed the north end of Lake Umri into the mountain valleys of the Kurds. Here some dropped off and their children became in after ages the Nestorian church. These were for 13 centuries the missionaries of Asia, end quote. Uh, in that same writing, Herodotus goes on basically to say that the Persians called the Scythians Sakai, S-A-K-A-I. And Sharon Turner identifies these very people as the ancestors of the anglo Saxons. The old Greek writers spoke often of their valor and the undaunted spirit of these Scythians. Uh, they say, no, quote, no nation on earth can match them. They are unconquerable, end quote. See, that's that righteous indignation that Russell is talking about because when we truly are acting in the interest of the will of the Father, there is no stopping the people of God. Professor Oldlam continues, quote, from Josephus, the Jewish historian of the first century, we learned that A.D. 70, the ten tribes were outside the Roman Empire. By other means, we learned that they were in the south of Russia in immense multitudes and known as the Scythians, or Herodotus. The burial places of the Israel people have furnished ample inscriptions to show clearly that the Crimea was a center of residence for this people for ages, and that from it they spread up through Europe and eastward as far as China. Deodorus says, quote, the Saka S-A-C-A-E, sprang from the people in Media who obtained a vast and glorious empire. Ptolemy finds the Saxons in, quote, a race of Scythians called Sakai, who came from Media, S-A-K-I. Pliny says, quote, the Sakai were among the most distinguished people of Scythia who settled in Armenia and were called Sakai Sanai, S-A-C-A-E-S-A-N-I. Albinus says, quote, the Saxons were descended from the ancient Sakai in Asia, S-A-C-A-E. Perdot finds that, quote, the Cimbrians or Cymri, Cimbrians and Cymri came from the Black and Caspian Seas and that with them came the Angli. A-N-G-L-I. Sharon Turner, the most painstaking Saxon historian, says, quote, the Saxons were a Scythian nation and were called Saka, Saki, Sakien, Saxen, S-A-C-H-S-E-N, Saxon. Colonel Grawler in our Scythian ancestors, Scythian, Scythian, I've seen it pronounced both ways, um, the word saka is fairly and without straining or imagination translated Israelite, end quote. 
the Bible in the seventh chapter of Amos takes cognizance of the change of the name of the nation and people from Israel to the house of Isaac. So when you think of the house of Isaac, you have a pretty safe transition to Zach's sons. Um, what is short for Isaac? Zach. In many, in many cultures, in many uh, places where Isaac is, is a name, given name, Zach becomes a name for short. And Zach's sons would have been clearly what this house of Isaac became called. Zach's sons or sons of Isaac. Um, so they were all over the Crimea, around the Black Sea and the air, areas of Europe and everything. There are migrations all around the Baltic and North Seas. Um, they're told by English scholars and and you know it's it's not like this stuff is is hidden necessarily. It's just that it is it is no longer taught. It's no longer of interest. Um, and the reason is is that if we can keep people from knowing who they are and where they come from then it becomes an indifference to them. And if it can become indifferent to them, then everybody is purposed as the same and everybody is purposed as, um, you know, uh, disregarding of any kind of national heritage or origin or otherwise. And that's the objective. So those are just a few, and obviously we haven't done several other things that we can still do on that subject, and maybe from time to time why we'll, we'll hit it for a fellowship and give it a little bit more uh, uh, as to the historical migrations, if you will, and bring that in so that those that do listen to these later... Uh, will benefit. Go ahead, Russell. Fox News is calling the uh, House a Democratic majority. Well, uh, then we have the a Speaker it. Pelosi. Yeah, the way I see it, it's uh, <clears throat> we haven't got our house in order. Therefore, uh, the judgment continues. Because what did you just say earlier about five minutes ago? These people could not be beaten <clears throat> when they were in their proper domain and, and where they were supposed to be. Yeah, so, and just what we wrote, read... Yeah, keep going. No, you said, uh, I, I said, yeah. I mean, just as we read in Second Chronicles 7.14, there's, there's an activating scripture here, and we are nowhere close to, to acknowledging his word and his, his laws and his statutes and judgments. And, and um, no. and his, his 
And what is all this, what is all, all these people's cry? Their cries to the Constitution. If we just get back to that, everything will be fine. And that has got well, to be and, a and false cry. Yeah, and and look at the cry. Uh, if if what Fox is calling here uh, that the the Congress has been handed to the Democrats, um, what the people are clamoring for is is more lawlessness, and and um, you know. What is what do we have to say to that? I mean, you know, it's well, it's chaos, and I guess it's uh, going to make our light shine a little brighter because we're going to be so such a minority. Yeah. God gave us a promise, didn't he? He said, I'll never leave you. You never leave me. Yep. So. Yeah, and uh, that's a huge recognition that. Go ahead. We don't. uh, We can get mad and angry at this situation, but. uh, What would Jesus do? He was watching these returns. <laughs> I don't think he'd uh, lose a lot of sleep over it. Do you? Well, I think he'd just you know I think that it, yeah, and and you know don't think, and I know we don't, but don't think that God isn't in pain over our condition because what parent wants to have their children be in bondage and what parent wants to have what parent wants to be the one who puts the shackle on his child's ankle um so yeah you know, this is not without pain. As he said, I, how often would have I gathered you like a chick gathers her, you know, or a hen gathers her chicks, you know, but you would not listen and you would not hear and you would not turn. And um, it, it's hard. It, it's hard. And, and I think probably in many respects that's why my spirit was so disheveled this morning because I I know that as I said a couple of weeks ago, if we if we believe in this God of creation and we believe what He gave us, I just flipped back to 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 Deuteronomy and. Um, if we are not going to acknowledge and believe that he will bring these curses upon us, um, then we really don't believe him. We we really don't love him right. to the point that that we believe him. 
And I think that's the spirit that that I found myself in this morning was was recognizing and knowing that that the people don't have the right concept yet. You bring up a great point, Doug. You bring up a great point, and the point is we call it denial, and he calls it we deny him. I mean, we're in a state of denial that, like you said, if you that he doesn't exist if we don't if we're not fearful of his judgment. I mean, see how we camouflage these words, but the essence of denial is you just deny he's there. And you live like like a uh, king, I guess. (laughs) But is it just three of us on the line? Yeah. Well, I'm at the point where I'm ready to say good night. Well, all right. Heavenly Father, we knew the possibility that you're still controlling the destiny of your people. We mm-hmm. we want so much to be able to please you and to be about our Father's business. But not everybody is, Father. And at times, we're disheartened in that. But as Brother Russell said, we have this to look forward to, is that you gave us a promise and said, if we'll turn to you, you won't forsake us. But we've got to turn to you with our whole heart. Not feignedly, not in substance or in in uh, where they where they say symbolism, not in symbolism, but more in substance. And so, Father, mm-hmm. I don't know if this foxy outfit has actually called it to the spirit across the land, or in the ninth hour that you'll bring it through, or the eleventh hour. Father, I know that through you all things are possible, and if you want this to be a victory for your people, then you'll have it. And if not, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to take stock and recognize that you're not yet willing to lift the foot of the enemy from off our necks. And Father, we would that we could follow your way and follow your will and that we could stop this burden from your people in this land of America. And Father, guide us, direct us, show us, teach us all that you want us to know and to be, to be the effective remnant you want for us to be in that hour that you call us forth. I ask it I trust in it. I count upon it. In the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Well, all right, guys. I guess we'll sign off for tonight and uh, see what the Lord brings us by daybreak. <laughs> well, Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. All right. We'll see you later. All right. Good night. Good night, all.